Just to see if Jennifer even listens to this. Everyone say hi, Jennifer. Hi, Jennifer. Hope you're having a good Sunday. Oh, I. We'll see if she comes and says something about that. We'll see. Um, but yeah, if, by the way, if, if every once in a while, if maybe once in a blue moon, there's something that you happen to think that was set up here was worth listening to again, which I know is probably rare. It is recorded, and you can go to the website online, or if your parents are like, what do you guys listen to at youth group? And you don't want to like rehash the whole sermon to say, Mom, go listen to it online. You could do that too. Um, so Mark chapter 8, we're making our way through. Matter of fact, this is our last section before the book of Mark takes a big shift. Right? So this whole first part of Mark is about this idea of answering this question of who is Jesus? Who is he? And right after this passage that we're looking at tonight, we get this flip starting next week of what Jesus came to do. And so we're going to move pretty quickly into the passion of Jesus and in the last week of his life. And that Jesus came primarily to serve and not to be served. So I'm excited for that. We have made some good progress through Mark, but... Let us start by reading Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 11. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they'd only had one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you still discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear and do you not remember when i broke the five loaves for the five thousand how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up i said to him 12 and the seven for the four thousand how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up and i said to him seven and he said to them do you not yet understand and they came to bethsaida and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him and he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see men, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. Let's pray. Lord, this is your word. We ask now that you give us special clarity with it. Help us, Lord, to be your people who believe every word that is in this book. Help us, Lord, to have hearts of faith that we would run from unbelief. Uh, help us by your strength, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, one of the, the games that I've really been enjoying playing with my kids recently is hide and go seek hide and go seek was a game that i played a lot growing up one i played it in my house with my brothers and it was like a weekend tradition we'd play 
um, hide and go seek with the lights off. And, and it, you know, I, little kids, it was fun. And uh, it progressed. We, we lived in California, so it was always warm outside. And we would go with our friends on a Friday night. And we'd play hide and go seek in the dark. Um, and that was fun for a couple of years until it kind of progressed to, like, knock-knock ditching and, um, <laughs> and doing a lot of other mischievous stuff. But hide and go seek was, like, I just really liked that game. I like playing sardines. I like just, like, this mysterious sneaking around in the dark. And so with my little kids, we, I tried teaching them hide and go seek. And the first couple of goes was rough. I mean, it was just like, no, kids, you don't understand this. So I would count to 10, I'm coming, and they'd be hiding behind the bed. And the second I walked in the room, they would just be like, here I am. It's like, no, stay hidden, stay. And like, life like a month, I had to keep telling them, and I would show them. I'm like, hey, Abby, stay with me. And so she would hide with me, and then Elena came by. She wanted to get up. I'm like, shh, you know, she's like, oh, you hide, right? <laughs> so they, they started getting it. And then I was like, okay, girls, this is what, this is what I want to do. I want to start playing with hiding a seek in the dark. And I kid you not, like, those kids, they got that game. Like, my little two-year-old Anna, I was watching her one time. I was hiding behind the door, and she didn't know I was in the room, and she came, she went underneath the crib with the lights off, couldn't see a thing in this room. And when her sister Abigail was trying to find her, she didn't say a word. She hid under that, into that crib for, like, ten minutes. Didn't say, I'm like, for a two-year-old, that's super impressive. Like, let me tell you, like, two-year-olds can't do much, but this two-year-old can sit in the dark for 10 minutes and not sit. And this one who likes, who's just crazy, right? <laughs> and so every once in a while when we first started doing the lights off, they would turn the lights on because they're like, but daddy, I can't see anything. I'm like, that's the point. Hide and go seek in the dark. Because our house is small and we just had hide and go seek the lights on. Like, I'm a huge person. I can't hide anywhere without the disguise of darkness. Um, and it's funny though, because... I was telling him, like, no, we'll be fine. The lights are off. And I remember one time, <laughs> like, in December, the, the lights were off. And I don't know what, I, some stupid freaking Lego or something. <laughs> and I'm, like, barefoot. I step on it. I'm, like, ah. And then I hit the crib. <laughs> and then I'm, like, I'm literally in this room. And you think I'd be able to, just, like, find where the, like, I'm so disoriented in this room that I can't even find which wall has the light switch on it. And I'm just stumbling like you know and finally like someone like cracked a door that had some little light and I could see a tiny bit but my eyes weren't adjusted to the dark at all and I could not see where I was going at all and here you know I thought of that this week as I was thinking about this passage how frightening it would be to be blind I mean for, for a quick second maybe I understood a little bit of what it was like it was clumsy it was awkward. It was difficult. And really, clearly because of my uh, abilities to negotiate in the dark, um, it's not sustainable. I mean, imagine living your life with, with the right. I mean, I'm sure your other senses come into play and people who, are, who have eyesight, they, they learn to adjust. But it is a hard challenge. And, and here's the thing that Jesus is talking about here. He is not talking about physical blindness. But rather, he's talking about spiritual blindness. And here's what I think we all need to know. That physical blindness is a lot like spiritual blindness. That we are blinded to the realities of the spiritual world. We are blinded to the reality of our spiritual life with God. So let me ask you guys a question to kind of diagnose a little bit. Do you ever find yourself in a situation 
where you're going through a season of life and you just don't really seem to care about how much you grow with Jesus. That you're kind of just more or less kind of coming and taking it as it goes. And there isn't this like innate, deep desire in you to say, no, I need to make Christ the most important thing in my life. I need to have him as a priority. Do you ever find yourself in seasons where you know there are things that you shouldn't be doing or watching or listening to or people to be around? And, and you kind of just have this slow, like, maybe, it's a, maybe I shouldn't do this, and, but I don't know. It, I should be fine. Do you ever find yourself in seasons where when it comes to your spiritual life, it's as if you were just clumsy and awkward and it's difficult and it's hard and, and you see other people singing, but you're just like, I, I don't know, man. I just don't resonate with it. And reading my Bible is just hard and boring. I think all of that kind of shows that sometimes we can become people who are spiritually blinded. And what we get here are two examples of what spiritual blindness is and where it comes from. But then we get a little story of showing how we can be people who walk away from spiritual blindness. So um, that's a long introduction, but my points will be kind of quick, okay? So like I said, there's three kind of main anchors, um, two stories of where spiritual blindness comes from and how we can... Stop it. So go ahead and look down with me at chapter 8, verse 11. So here is the first story. Spiritual blindness because of hardness. The Pharisees came and began to argue with Jesus, seeking from him a sign from heaven. So what's interesting about this sign is if you look just a couple verses up in Mark chapter 8, verse 1 through 10, Jesus does an incredible sign. What is that sign? He takes food, like a little bit of food, and he feeds 4,000 people with it. I mean, how many of us can take a few loaves of bread and fish and feed 4,000 people with it? But Jesus does this, and he he actually did it before with 5,000 people. So he's doing miracles, stopping storms, healing uh, little demon girls, and he is feeding 4,000 people. But what do the Pharisees and Herodians come and ask Jesus? Give us a sign. From heaven. Now, here's the thing. I, I, most people think at this point, the religious leaders, they already know that, that Jesus can do some really great stuff, but they're not really positive of where his authority is. Because in essence, this is the problem. They're, what they're really asking is, give us a, a ballpark, out of the park, no question about it, sign that you really are the Messiah. And I think they're looking for some political thing. They're looking for something that they can really take and say, yeah, this is going to be our guy who helps us overthrow Rome. Because right now, the Jesus that they do have, he's unruly. He questions their authority. He does things on his own. He mocks us and he belittles us. So by them asking for a sign, in essence, they're saying, yeah, all that other stuff doesn't really matter. We want something that no matter what happens, we would get it. Like We will understand that you truly are the Messiah. And Jesus, what does he do? Right? And he sighed deeply in his spirit. Like this deep frustration. Like you people will never get it. You know, it's interesting. Paul, 
In 1 Corinthians 1, 22, he says this, For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. And so what Paul is saying here is if you really want to see the power of God, if you want the sign of all signs, if you want the smoking gun, look no further than the cross. Look to the God-man being crucified. And so Jesus here, he is kind of combating this desire for a sign that no matter what he would do, they wouldn't believe. And so here's really the issue with the Pharisees and the religious leaders. Their physical and spiritual blindness, excuse me, not physical, their spiritual blindness, do you know where it came from? It came from a hard heart. And no matter what Jesus said, no matter what Jesus would do, they would not believe. Um, The philosopher Voltaire, have you guys studied Voltaire a little bit? He said this, even if a miracle should be in the open market before a thousand witnesses, I would rather mistrust my senses than admit a miracle. And I think this quote really summarizes the heart of the hard person, the, the, the heart of someone who says, you know what, I just, unless God like, comes down from heaven and speaks to me face to face, I'll never believe in God. Like They don't even want to try. And what, what does this lead to? It leads to spiritual blindness. But why? Here's why. The Pharisees and the Herodians here, here's what they care about. They care about political power. They care about getting things. And do you know what that has caused them to do? That has caused them to reject and to be able to see who Jesus really is. That's why Jesus says no sign will be given to this generation. Do you know why? Because your heart is so hard. Because you are so fixed on what you really want instead of having eyes to really see. And so I think the danger for us is this. That spiritual blindness will always be a result of when we care more about what we want than what God wants. When I was thinking of this passage today, I remember uh, I had a friend. He's kind of a friend. But I was a sophomore in high school, and he was an eighth grader. And I helped out my middle school youth group. And he was a good kid. Um, We did high school for a couple of years, but I was taking him home one day. And he just told me straight up, Aaron, I don't believe in this stuff anymore. I'm like, why? I just don't want to. It doesn't do anything for me. But, like, but what objections do you have? I don't know. I just don't believe in God. But what, what about God? Like, what causes you to have that? I just don't care. And, and listen, nothing could be said to undo his hard heart. Jesus in Matthew 7, 6 says, do not throw your pearl before a swine. What does he mean by that? I think sometimes, no matter what happens, there are going to be people whose spiritual insight is so off because of their hard heart that it's not even worth taking time to share the gospel with them. And here's the danger, that we can become like the Pharisees. That we become so fixed by the things of this world that we become hard-hearted. 
You don't think it's possible? Because look what Jesus says, right? Verse 14, now they forgotten to bring bread and they only had one loaf with them. And he cautioned them saying, watch out, beware, guys, listen. The leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. You know, do you know what he's saying here? He's saying, guys, listen, a little yeast can ruin the whole, a little bit of this unbelief can get into your life too. He's saying, beware, caution yourself against this hard-heartedness. So when you find yourself in times where your spiritual life is small, where your energy for God is diminished, when you find yourself not really caring and you're kind of just floating through, Jesus says, beware. Watch out for this hard-heartedness. And so even the, the disciples here, again, they struggle with this spiritual blindness, but for them it's a little different. It's not just because of their hard-heartedness, it's because of their worldliness. Spiritual blindness, listen, Second point, spiritual blindness comes because of worldliness. The Pharisees are not the only one to struggle with understanding Jesus. So in verses 14 through 16, what happens is uh, they get on the boat and they're like, oh, dang, there's like 13 or 14 of us. We got one loaf of bread. I guess we're going to have to fight to the death for it. And they're arguing and mimicking and, and saying all these things. And Jesus is thinking about the conversation he just had with the Pharisees, and he's saying, watch out for that. Watch out for that type of unbelief. And what are they thinking about? When they hear Jesus say that, what do they think Jesus means? Oh, bread, food? Food? And this is, again, Jesus, I think in his frustration, starts asking them all these questions like, really, guys? What, what did I just do in eight, chapter 8, verse 1 through 10? Didn't I, didn't I feed like 4,000 people? And, and how many baskets were left over? Uh, seven. Seven baskets of leftover food. And actually before that, I fed 5,000 people, guys. And then how many baskets of food were left over? Like, uh, Twelve. Twelve. And you think that I'm still just talking about bread. You would think that the disciples, being with Jesus so long, seeing so many things, hearing him in private conversations, being taught parables, being, being seeing special things that Jesus has done, probably like a small sliver of even what's recorded in the gospel. They see all these things, and when Jesus says something, what do they think about? Bread. They think about bread. They completely miss the point what Jesus was saying. Why? Because they were focused on their senses and the things of this world. Listen, the disciples here paint a good picture for us that when we focus on our senses and the things of this world, our spiritual insights become dull. Our heart and zeal for God is diminished the more we are focused and in tune with the things of this world. And so Jesus here, he's frustrated. He asks them, guys, why are you still discussing the bread? 
Guys, do you not yet perceive or understand? Are, are your hearts hardened? Is everything to you just about the next meal? Is everything to you just about this or that? Like, do you see what I'm trying to teach you here? Do you see what I'm trying to communicate? Like, How many of us in this room, how many sermons have we heard? How many times have we read the Bible? How many times have we offered prayer or sat in small groups? And yet it kind of seems when it comes to our spiritual life with God, it is a slow clumsy, unorganized climb. Or we are just still so focused on the next thing that my phone tells me to look at. And we're still just so focused on what tomorrow at school is going to bring, or I guess Tuesday. We're just so focused on the sport that we're watching, or, or the, the activity, or the relationship. We're just so focused. And, and Jesus is saying, like, are you Are you blind? To the reality here? Do, do you get what, I, what I'm trying to say here? And so I, I think for us, okay, like, I think for high schoolers, what, is, what do you think Jesus would communicate to us that's helpful? Well, if Jesus is saying that our focus on worldly things dulls our spiritual senses, I think the natural thing to think of is how do we distance ourselves from the things of the world? So right now, I don't know if any of you guys follow the church calendar, but we are in the season of Lent. Lent. Traditionally, Christians during the season of Lent, it started in Ash Wednesday, last Wednesday. It's 40 days all the way up to Easter, right? Have sacrificed something to God. And, you know, some people, they, you know, they, they give up certain foods on certain days. And I don't know other Christians who give up, you know, social media or they, they kind of do some sacrifice to the Lord. But, but let me tell you, high schoolers, I think your generation has a unique challenge. Because we are always connected to the things of this world. We, we are always in this constant cycle of having this thing, to this screen, to that action, to this activity, and we are constantly turning and, and going to and for, and, and here's what I think this passage is calling us to, that to awaken from spiritual blindness, we need to set aside our, our, our natural inclination to the things of this world and our senses and focus more on Christ. You know, although Lent started on Wednesday, like, what would it mean for a high schooler to say, like, you know what, tomorrow I have a day off from school. I, I really do feel like it's been hard for me to see what the Lord is doing in my life. It's, it's been hard for me to see what, what, how I've been growing this last year, right? We, we're almost, we're halfway through the school year. Have, have we seen any growth in our love for Christ? Have we seen any growth in what we're trying to serve him with? Have we seen any growth over the last five years, maybe, since you become a Christian? And maybe for one day you take off, you say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to avoid the things that I'm, I'm tempted to be glued to. In essence, anything that I'm obsessed with. You know, obsessed is kind of a strong word, but, but use it for a second. What are the things that you're obsessed with? I, I think for me, like, I'm guilty of like even in church, I check the golf score. You know, I'm reading article about how to chip better. I, I'm, I'm looking at this. I'm, I'm scroll. I'm, Amy will ask me I'm on my phone. She's like, "What are you doing?" I'm just trolling Facebook. I'm doing, I'm doing nothing in essence. 
And the temptation is to be like the disciples who are just thinking about the here and now. But I think for us, you know, what would it mean to like unplug, to step aside for a second and to say, you know, I want to awaken out of this spiritual blindness and follow Christ. Here's the question I think Jesus is asking all of you tonight. Based on your relationship with Jesus, whether that's been a couple of weeks, a couple of months, a couple of years, your whole life, here's the question. Do you understand yet? Do you actually like know who Jesus is? Do you know what he's calling you to? Do you know the gravity of his words? Do you understand what his will for you is? Do you have a heart that, that is longing and reaching and has joy for the Lord? Or is it still this mumbled kind of mess where we're like in the dark and we're spiritually blind and we're kind of just walking around the room trying to find where the light switch is? I think, listen, guys, it's not like yes or no. It's like the song we just sang, I'm prone to wonder. I'm prone to forget. I am prone to, 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 to hear Christ and behold him, but to say, ooh, this looks really pretty over here. And so what we get here in this story is a little example of how does, how does someone who maybe realizes that, yeah, sometimes I am a little into myself or sometimes I am distracted from my relationship with Christ. And you know, sometimes you described earlier, like not having that heart for God. You know, sometimes I do kind of feel spiritually blind or, or my, my, my antenna for understanding and perceiving spiritual things is a little off base. Like, but what do I do? And here we get this little story. And some commentators, I won't lie, that they, they separate. They don't think that this story of a blind man relates to the story below or above it. But it's interesting. Jesus is talking about spiritual blindness. You don't get it. You don't see. And then what's the very next story? A blind man who gets his sight. I don't think that's on accident. I think that's on purpose. So what is, what is the last point? Look down at verse 22. And they came to Bethsaida. And some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? Kind of an interesting thing, right? I always am kind of weirded out by this miracle that Jesus spits on his eyes. And then touches him. And then it's even more weird. Is look, it's like a double, like a double decker, like a double dose. Like it didn't kind of work the first time. So what happens? He looked up, he said, I see men, but they look like trees walking. Now again, some people think that this guy maybe had his sight before and then he lost his sight because of the fact that he knows what trees look like, I guess, or what men look like. Um, <clears throat> but whatever it is, this guy, he kind of he gets a partial sight back. He can begin to see a little clearly. But Jesus has to do more, right? He says this, verse 25, then Jesus laid his hands on, on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. I think the point of this little story is this. I'll make this, this point short. 
once we take the hand of Jesus and allow him to touch our lives, when we allow Jesus to lead us anywhere, we begin to have spiritual insight. As we continue to allow Jesus to work on us and speak into our lives and allow us to be humble before his word, we will ultimately see things clearly. So I remember this time when I was a kid learning to swim at my grandma's house. I was in the deep end and there was a diving board and I had little, whatever, floaties on. And my dad was sitting there treading water and I'm on the diving board. He's like, Aaron, jump. Aaron, jump. I'll catch you. And I'm, I'm timid. I'm not sure if I should jump or not. He's like, jump, Aaron, jump. You'll be fine. I got you. I'm right here. But, but it was scary. It was hard. I wasn't sure. Like, I mean, it's, it's like the deep end. You know, parents like drill it in you. Stay there from the deep end. But I'm getting this jump. And I jump. And I go in the water. And I come back. And I'm fine. My dad got me. And he put me back on the side, and I ran up to that diving board as quick as I could, and you know what? I didn't hesitate that time. I just jumped right in, and he caught me, and he kept doing it. And here's it is with Christ. There's a, there's a time where Jesus says, hey, I got you. Come to me. And we're a little timid, and we're a little shy, but we jump. And we begin to have this partial sight. We, we understand that and we see. But here's the thing. We need to keep coming to him. And the more we come to him and the more we let Jesus take us out of the village and walk us by the hand and tell us where to go, the light bulb comes on and our sight is restored and we see Christ. You guys, listen. People all over the world are blinded to the truth of who Christ is. Paul talks about the second Corinthians. And no matter where he goes, people, they have a spiritual blinder, the spiritual blinders on, uh, that you can give the most sound arguments of the Christian faith. There's an answer for everything. I mean, the greatest apologetic minds in the world can, can defend scriptures, that can give the answers. But here's the thing. People love darkness more than light. They love their ways, and so their hearts are hardened. People are so attached to their phones and to their success and to their plans, they can't see Christ. And the only way to take the spiritual blinders off is this. To allow Christ to take you by the hand and begin to tell you who you are. And slowly but surely, our sight is restored. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time in your word. I pray that you would give us all clarity of sight. Help us, Jesus, to love you, to walk with you, to take you seriously, Lord. I pray for these students, Lord, give them hearts of faith. Help them to avoid the sin of disbelief. Praise now in Jesus' name. Amen.